But I do want to begin today with a quiz. Um, and I want to invite you to follow along. You can do so if you have the Bible app. If you have you version of the Bible, you can go to the Bible app. There it is right there. Uh, you can go to that. Go down to the bottom right-hand side of the screen. It says More. And then it, you will see the bridge, Goldsboro. And you can click on that, and then the um, outline for the sermon will come up for you at that time. If you would like the, the, the sermon from today or any from this series, all you have to do is uh, email info at bridgechurch.cc, and we'd be happy to send you the manuscript of that. And uh, also, if you want to tweet something or send something out, just hashtag livingfinanciallyfree. And we'd love for you to share your insight. But let's begin with a quiz today. And you already know the answer because we just had a three-minute long video talking about it. But what is the thing that most people go to school to learn how to get, spend the majority of their lives, 40 to 80 hours a week, trying to get it, invest countless hours in thought on how to handle it, walk around shopping malls determining how to spend it, right, ladies and gentlemen? See, I didn't just say ladies. Uh, caught up uh, more than we'd like to admit in worrying about not having enough of it. Dream and scheme on figuring out ways that we can acquire more of it. Is the leading cause of marital breakup, business failure, government shutdown. Thousands obsess over it and it leads to staggering crime rate. And... It is the absence of it that causes society's nightmares. And for many, the inability to give it leads to guilt every time we hear about it in church. It is called the root of all evil in Scripture, but it is also a means for great good. But we cannot afford to ignore it. And the issue and what we're talking about today is money. We cannot afford not to talk about it. And the good news is the Bible doesn't ignore it. As a matter of fact, it hits it head on. No holds barred. And I would suggest that it is probably the best money management guide that has ever been written and made available to man. Did you know that there are over 2,000 passages that refer to money in Scripture? Two-thirds of Jesus' parables Make some reference to money. More is said about money in the Bible than heaven and hell combined. It's a big deal, and it's something that we need to talk about. It's something that we need to look at. It's like oxygen. We've got to have oxygen to breathe, right? And we've got to have money if we're going to live in this world. And how we see our money and view our money and live with our money or without it makes a big difference in our disposition oftentimes. Some of you have very strong feelings about money. Maybe because of the depressing load of debt that you have. Maybe because you're tired of living on the edge financially. Convinced that you'll never get ahead. You always get a little bit. You ever been here where you just get a little bit and a little bit and you're like, oh, I'm finally getting a little nest egg in. And then wham, something happens. Oh, that was loud. Sorry. <laughs> Something happens and takes it away. You ever been there? I cannot be the only one that's been there. And then some of you are financially comfortable. But you live with the nagging feeling that you're not managing 
what God has provided to you very well. Whatever category you're in, I believe that God has something to say to you today, and that is that you can be free financially. We can be free. We can be liberated. Have any of us sitting in this room arrived in this area? No, we are arriving. We are always in a state of arriving. But there are some that are a little further down the road than others. And so we want to talk today. We want to get real honest today about about what God says about this issue. I want us to look in Philippians chapter 4, and it's going to come up on your screen. Verses, uh, or verse 19, it's in the Amplified Bible. It says this, My God will what? Liberally. Can we say that again? My God will supply. Fill to the full. For my every need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, it's hard for us a lot of times to say that my God will liberally meet that need when we're sitting here today and we are struggling. We may be here today going, I'm not sure. I guess it's peanut butter and jelly again for lunch today. It's tough right now. I know the Bible says that, but I'm not seeing that. And God wants you to see that. God's heart and His desire is for you to see that God will liberally supply your needs. Now, what it doesn't say is that He will liberally supply your greeds. That everything I see and everything I want, man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get that. I, I get something that other people, there are people that I know that shop and shop and shop and they'll fill their closets with clothes they never wear, they never even take the tags off of. And if that's you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know we got some of those in here. I'm the other end of the spectrum. I'll go out and shop and buy something and get home and look at it and go, why did I do that? Do you know what that's called? Buyer's remorse. And the next day, I'll take it back. I'll figure out a way to get that little plastic thing taped back together and put it on the product and take it back because I'm like, I really don't need that. I got four kids and mortgage and stuff and who needs a shirt, you know? I mean, <laughs> I do have on a, I will say I have on a rather pretty one today. Um, <laughs> go dogs. Um, <laughs> but God, He said He would supply our needs, not our greeds, not the things that we just, oh, we're going and we're looking and we got to have this and we got to have that and we see what the neighbor has and we're comparing ourselves to them and how do they have that and I don't have that and I'm always struggling and they're not. And, they're... and so then we go shopping because Chase will give us a credit card with a $5,000 line of credit. And so what we end up doing is we end up making $2,000 a month or whatever your income is. But we live on four. Because the credit card company gives me $5,000, Pastor Ryan. I'm in good shape. I'm golden. You're living on 200% of what you make. And how many of you that aren't even mathletes know that math don't work out? Right? It doesn't work. And so God wants to provide those needs. And I love what it said in that video, in that opener. There are things that we go out and we are hooking and crooking to get. That we're 
borrowing money from someone so we can have it. And if we would just wait, God wants to give it to us. Holy cow. So, the Bible teaches us this in Philippians 4. Here's the thing. The Bible's full of if and then statements. If this is true, then this will be true. In most cases, the if is your part and the then is God's part. See, there, in the Bible, when you see a promise, there's always a premise to the promise. All right? If you're in Christ, then all things are made new. If you abide in the truth, then the truth will set you free. See, the Bible's full of my part and God's part. And that really is what this series is about. That's what we're talking about. What is my part? When God makes a promise, what is my part in that? We're going to learn about God's way to manage finances. We're going to trust His promises that He will meet all of our needs. We're going to learn about things like debt. I don't think we need to train you much about that. We're going to learn about savings. And hopefully we don't need to train you a lot about that. You're already on that road about budgeting and giving and all kinds of exciting stuff. And you may be sitting there today going, none of this has excited me yet. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's exciting. When we do our finances God's way and God helps us walk in financial freedom, there is a liberation that takes place when that happens that I cannot explain. So here's what we're going to do today. Today I just want to lay the foundation for the series. Alright? I want to lay the foundation by talking about the provision promise. And here's the promise. If we handle our finances God's way, then He's going to make up the difference. Listen to this now. Between what we are capable of doing and what we need. He makes up the difference. Did you catch that? If we do finances God's way, He makes up the difference between what we're capable of doing and what we need. I got hurt five years ago. Real bad. Back in, it was July the 24th was my five-year anniversary. I busted my knee up. I mean, I messed it up bad. I have a $144,000 knee. I know it doesn't look like it, but that is what it took to get it to do that. <laughs> That's pretty incredible, isn't it? <clears throat> when that happened to me, I went, ah, I don't know how, how we're going to do this. And what we did is we leaned back on the promises of God. And I believe, not that I've done everything perfectly by any stretch, but I believe in trusting God with my finances and making Him the Lord of my life. He filled in the gap between what I was capable of doing in that time and what I needed. Because what I needed was greater than what I was capable of doing. But I want to tell you something. When God showed up, there was an abundance. There was an abundance. And God will do that in our lives and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at uh, the premise of how to manage wealth. But before we look at how we manage wealth, we've got to look at how to produce it. How do we produce it? How do you produce wealth in your life? 
Somebody tell me. I'm going to let you speak out this morning. Anybody tell me how to produce the number one way to produce wealth? Somebody said it, and they got elbowed for it. <laughs> I saw that, Todd. He said, work, and she went, why? What are you doing? <laughs> You're right. Our greatest capacity to produce wealth is working. All right? God created us to work. Um, now, that sounds simple, but our culture has taken some real extremes when it comes to this whole idea of producing wealth and, and then managing wealth. And I want us to take a look at the extremes that we've gone to in society. See, we, we've gone, you know, a lot of times what our tendency is, is instead of staying here in a place of balance, the pendulum will either swing this way to an extreme or it'll swing this way to an extreme, right? One of the extremes is the lazy living syndrome. That is probably not a lazy boy, but it is the lazy living syndrome. And then it swings from being lazy and, and all the things that that implies. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But it swings all the way over to the work addiction. To the guy who doesn't have a hobby because his hobby is work. That's all he does. And when I start talking about that, my feet are going to hurt really bad because that is my battle to working all the time. And I have to really get a handle on that. And I'm really being open and I'm really being honest with you today. And um, I know I'm not the only one in here that struggles with that. But let's look first at the lazy living syndrome. Let's take a look at how that impacts our lives. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 14 says this. The lazy person is like a door that turns back and forth on its hinges. He stays in bed and turns over and over and over. And I got up this morning at 5.15. I don't know why I did that either. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you how much the sheets weigh at 5.15 in the morning. About 750 pounds, okay? It is hard to get out of the bed at 5.15 in the morning for me. I don't like it. I don't think there should be a 5.15 in the morning, but there is, okay? It does exist, and I pray that most of the time I'm sleeping through it, all right? But <clears throat> the lazy person stays in bed and turns over and over and over. He doesn't take work seriously. He'd rather play. He says things like this, oh, I'll get by. You know, something will work out. We'll figure it out. I, I, I work with people all the time. And there are people that I work with and, and, and uh, do financial help and assistance with. And, and we help this particular month. And then there's this mountain of stuff. And, and I'm thinking, okay, we can do something here to help you. Or I can give you even some, some pointers on how to manage your money and do your money well. But if you don't change anything about the way you're living... If we don't get the lowest, how about this? Not even the lowest thing that cable offers, but no cable. Because an antenna still will work outside your house, I will tell you that. And contrary to popular belief, I know your children don't believe it, but everybody doesn't have to have a cell phone. You know? We spend, we spend as much money on cell phones now as we do a car payment. It is ridiculous. 
Alright? But if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and we expect a different result, that's what the something will work out guy says. He's like, man, it'll work out. All right, can we just do this right here? Okay, great. We got that need met. I ain't going to think about it again until the first of next month. Guess what the first of next month's going to bring? All those bills all over again. All that trouble all over again, right? And all that pressure. You got it off of you, but you didn't plan. You didn't think about anything. And then the worst attitude that this lazy uh, living syndrome takes on is the world owes me a living. How many of you know that the world don't owe you anything? And how many of you have found that out the hard way, right? The world don't owe you anything at all. As a matter of fact, we are, as believers, salt and light in this world. And it's our job, it's our obligation, it's our duty to make the world better because we're in it. Not to just take, 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 take. I don't know if I could do that again. I might hit myself. The Bible says that's not the way it works. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't what? Everybody knows that one. No worky, no eaty. All right? And let me give you three reasons God set it up this way. Okay? Three reasons He set it up this way. The first one is because our families have the right to depend on us. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Anybody that has done that has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's an expectation that we're going to provide for our household. How many of you love Christmas morning not because of the gifts that you receive, but because you get to watch recipients open their presents. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I love watching my kids open their gifts. I love giving them good gifts. I love going out. I love working hard and going, coming home and being able to provide not just the things that they need, but some things that they want. It makes us feel so good. It fulfills us. And God says that if we don't do that, we're worse than an unbeliever. We cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ if we're not doing that. And let me say this now, because we're going to hit a lot of different people who are in a lot of different places in, in the workforce. There are people that go to a public job every day and get a paycheck for that. Okay. Then there are folks who are at home every day looking after their children, providing a home, making a house a home. And can I, I, I would like to argue that that is the hardest job in the world. I get to go to work, okay? But being home and, and making that home, so I don't want to diminish the value of anything. If you're a homemaker or you go out and you work a public job, God has an expectation that we all provide, that we're all doing our part. And sadly, lots of people, lots of Christians who say that that's who they are have, have this mentality that the world owes me something, that the church owes me something. And I'm not talking about help in the time of need, all right? I'm talking about taking on a mentality that, hey, the way I'm going to get by 
is I'm going to get over on some people. And I'm just going to keep doing that. And I'll keep getting my bills paid. That's wrong. If you would work just as hard at making the world a better place, man, you're going to be fulfilled and you're going to do something that blesses the heart of God. Then secondly, the second reason God sets it up that way, no worky, no eaty, is it helps those around us. Ephesians 4.28 says, If anyone is stealing, he must stop it and begin using those hands of his for honest work. So he can give to the needs of others. Now I want you to look at the picture of this pickup truck right here. This is how God provides for us. Isn't that something? I don't know how that happened. But it's there. I mean, that guy, and he ain't worried about his paint. It's a good thing because he's got that stuff. That must be cans or something. I don't know. But God, when he provides for us, when he meets our needs, that's what it looks like when we're faithful with the money that God entrusts to us. See, when we're faithful with what God gives us, God gives us what we need, but then He gives us an overflowing of that. There's an outpouring. But why does He do that? Why does, why does the financial provision of God look like that? Because God has an expectation of us. His expectation of us is so that we can give to others in need. We are, we are right now in this service... The people that live how far? 300 miles south of us are facing a storm of the magnitude we haven't seen in many, 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 many decades. Now God has provided for us so that we can help meet a need. Now I want to let you know what we're doing at, at, at the bridge. If you go to our brand new website... You're able to click on that because we've had a lot of people ask us, even since Harvey, well, what are we doing? What, what, can't we do something? Well, let's fill up a truck and let's go down to, to Houston and let's get a truck and go down to Florida. Let me tell you the, the best use of our finances at a time like this is not loading up a truck from here and driving it down there because then you're paying freight costs. If you've ever shipped anything on a transfer truck, that weighs anything, you know how exorbitant those costs are. If we can get that money down to the Red Cross, DRUSA, which is an organization uh, through our denomination, it's called Disaster Relief USA. They are boots on the ground down there, and they know the most pressing need. And so what we're asking you to do is through the abundance, through the overflow, God's blessed you. You're giving your tithes and offerings. You're, you're sharing that. And through that abundance, you can go on the website and click on it, and you can give to Disaster Relief USA. And that money's going to go to Harvey victims. It's going to go to the victims of Irma. And that is a way that we can bless other people. God's provision looks like that because there's an expectation that we're going to do for others as we have been blessed. Because the blessing didn't come from us, did it? Any self-made men or women out here? Anybody got everything you got because you did it all? No. If you believe that, come up and talk to me and I'll help you look at Scripture and help you find out that that is not true. You didn't do it all on your own. It's God's provision in your life and it's His hand at work in your life, and that is why you have what you have. Can I get an amen to that in this house today? 
I want us to do something right now. We didn't do it earlier, but I just really feel impressed right now to stop. And I want us to pray, because I want to tell you something. I was thinking about it when we were singing praise and worship. We serve a God, the true and living God, who controls the wind and the rain. Now that storm is bigger than a lot of meteorologists living today have ever seen. But my God can speak to that wind. And my God can speak to that rain. And He can say, be still. And it will. I believe that with all my heart. And I want us to bow our heads right now. And I want us to pray for the folks that are, that are in the path of this storm. I want to pray for their safety. And I want to pray that God just works a miracle and causes that storm to divert and go away and dissipate and go somewhere far, far from where these folks are. Now, God, I know that's an audacious prayer. Irma is enormous. And if she had stayed on the track she was on, would have completely covered the entire state of Florida. Lord, I don't know the damage that could happen. I don't know the loss of life that could come. But God, I know this. I know that we have not because we ask not. And I say to the wind and the rain, be still in the name of Jesus. Alter your course, whatever it takes. To spare the state of Florida, the state of Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee. I don't know where this thing is going. But God, we ask you in the name of Jesus to just perform a miracle right now. Lord, I pray for those that have already been impacted in the Caribbean by this storm. I ask you to to be with them, God, to comfort those that mourn. And Lord, just to miraculously provide for the rebuilding of the homes and neighborhoods and townships that are going to be in such desperate need of that provision. God, we look to you, we lean on you, we trust in you, and we thank you now. We thank you now for what you're going to do in making that provision and in performing that miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. I know we don't normally do that, but guys, I'm telling you, God not only gives us the finances to provide for others, but He also lays people on our heart at times. And you need to do that. You need to stop and pray and say, God, what can we do for others? And then lastly, the reason that God has set up uh, our finances that way, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat, is for our own sake. God has done that for our own sake. Ecclesiastes 4, 5. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. The King James Version says, The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Now, that's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Now, here's what that verse is saying. There's a direct link between laziness and low self-esteem. If we don't put our hands to the plow and we're not willing to work, we will lose respect for ourselves. 
Bill Hybels said it this way, God created this thing called labor for the purpose of stimulating creativity and challenging the remarkable talents and abilities He's given you. The result is you will earn the money you need to pay the bills and you will grow into the person that He created you to be in the process. So God ordained labor as the primary means by which we provide for ourselves and our loved ones. We provide for those in genuine need and we provide for our own self-esteem in the process. Now, there's another extreme. We went from the lazy living over to the work addicted. Those that just, the working for a high addiction. We never get tired of the next deal. We're always looking for that next thing to do. We go on vacation and have to work while we're there. We can't leave the laptop. My wife is here today and she knows that I can't lie because she is listening. And I have been so guilty in this area. I'm better than I used to be. But I have been so guilty of just being too available. Creating an atmosphere where if somebody had a need, they just, well, just call Pastor Andy. He's good. I know he's on vacation, but you can call me. I ain't Jesus. You don't need me at 3 o'clock in the morning. You need Jesus, all right? If you're bleeding from the jugular at 2 a.m., don't call me. Call on him and 911 at the same time. Lord Jesus, get the ambulance in now because I am bleeding, all right? If your left arm goes numb, call on Jesus and call 911. Then call me. We will be there and we will pray. But I'm not him. But who creates that? Who does that? We do that. Oh, you're so good. You work so hard. Oh, that's, and we, we get a high off of the accolade. And our family, my wife has looked at me before and said, I did not marry your job. I married you. How about being here some? How about coming home and actually being home when you're home? Mm, 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 mm. One of the greatest inventions on the planet is the laptop. It is also one of the greatest plights because you can sit in the den when you should be conversing and you're just doing your thing, getting carpal tunnel the whole time, see? <clears throat> see, if we're believers and we have a, an addiction to work, then we're not worshiping God the way we should. We're not learning from the sermons. We're not using our spiritual gifts as we should. And we have to realign our priorities. We've got to do this. And I'm talking to me when I am talking about this. We say, man, you've got to slow down. You've got to stop. Well, someday we're going to do it. One of these days I'm going to stop. And someday never comes. Not because you're bad, but because you're hooked. You love it. Hey, man, what do you do? Well, let me tell you, I have 72 jobs. I sleep an hour a day, you know. You're an idiot, okay? That's not smart. You're a doofus. Don't do that. We're sinning. When's the last time you took a day off, Pastor Andy? 
30 days. Really? Wow. So four days of sin in this month because you didn't take a Sabbath. Mm. Jesus knew the importance of it. God the Father who created everything on the seventh day rested. Today, I will be drooling on my chest watching a race. Okay? Because I'm going to rest today. I'm going to do it. We've got to stop it. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What will break the addiction that you have to work? You're a workaholic. Will another $100,000 in assets? Well, if you live in a house that costs twice as much as the one you're in now, if you finally get that new car that I promise you your 17-year-old is going to wreck, okay? What is it? It's going to make you happy. I'm telling you, it's the balance. We've got to find the balance. And what is that? Colossians 3.23 says, In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you are doing it for the Lord and not for people. So how do we do it? We do it as under the Lord. Are we working? First of all, if you're not working... You need to do something. Something. I mean, and I'm not saying you may be at retirement age. Volunteer. Do something. We're never at the point. My dad is 83 years old. He is holding on with all of his might to a job that he has now. He really needs to let go of, but I'm telling you, he doesn't want to do it because it fulfills him. He loves it. He looks at himself at 83 years old and says, I, I may have some infirmities. I may have, he's got a terminal illness. But he said, I can't quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm still breathing. I want to do something. Just something in, within whatever capacity that you can do. But are you working? Are you, and are you working the best that you can? Are we doing the best that we can? Are we doing it as, as under the Lord? When I... When I went into ministry, I was working for a man who owned a furniture store. And I told this man, I said, God's called me into the ministry, so I guess I'm going to be broke the rest of my life because I'm going into ministry. And he said, no, A, that doesn't mean you're going to be broke. And he said, B, whatever you do, you better do it the best anybody's doing it. He said, if you're working in a church, I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, if you're digging a ditch... Dig the best one that's out there. Because here's who you're doing it for. Here's who we represent. We represent Jesus. Man, I don't know what it is about the ditches that you dig, but they are awesome. They are just perfectly symmetrical. They are whatever makes a ditch great. That's the way I want to dig it, right? So that I can look at that person and say, man, you want me to tell you the difference? You want me to tell you why? Because of the God in me. Because of Jesus. That's why I dig such an incredible ditch. John Maxwell calls it the and then some principle. No matter what your job is, no matter what you do, do your job and then some. My daughter, I, I know I talk about her a lot. That's the, the liberty I take when I strap this microphone to my ear. 
Um, but our oldest daughter, who's in New York, went to, to a dance conservatory, and she went to, to school to dance, and she's working for Citibank, and y'all know how that works, so I don't know. Go figure that one out. So she doesn't have a degree in finance. She doesn't, she's not doing any, any of that kind of stuff, but she's, she's been working at this job, and in, in the year that she has worked this job, this is the thing we've always told our children. No matter what it is you're doing, when the boss asks you to do something, do it. And when you complete that task, look around and say, okay, is there anything else that I can do while I'm here in the time that I'm working? And I'm going to do that. In the year she's worked in this job, she has been promoted twice. Is that right? Two times? She's been promoted twice. She was called the other day and offered a third promotion. She does not have the qualifications on paper to do the job. There are people that do have the qualifications on paper to get the job. They have rewritten the qualifications and they looked at her and said, we want you because you always do what we ask you to do. You always go the extra mile. You make an effort for this company. You are all in and we know it and we want you in this job. And she said, well, what about so-and-so? They're way more qualified than I am. They said, that person will never get this job. Because that person doesn't do what we ask them to do. They're not just, they're not just doing their job. They're, they're or doing enough to get by. They're just kind of, eh, I don't really care what they say. It doesn't really matter. I mean, really, does it make, is it that big a deal that I follow all the protocol? That I do every little thing that they say? I mean, come on, that's silly. That I'm going to listen to them and do that. How many of you know that in your job... And you may be the boss in your job. And as a boss, you're watching the way people work, aren't you? And you're looking, and you got uh, person A, and you got person B. And person A is over here, and they're, doing, they're the and then some employee. And they're always going the extra mile. And you know they love the business. You know they're all about what it is you're doing. And they want to make it as profitable as they can. And then you got the person over here. They're, they're coming to work, and they're doing their job, but they're... Their heart's not in it. And I mean, as soon as it's 5 o'clock, they're out the door. It doesn't matter what's done, what's finished. If there was more stuff that needed to be tied up because it's coming up on the weekend and we got to have this order shipped out, whatever it is that you do, and that boss is looking at A and B, and B may be more qualified than A. But the boss says, hey, you go the extra mile. You're the and then some. The and then some is doing it as unto the Lord. How are we working? Are we working for Him? And that is the question today. When it comes to our finances, when it comes to, you know, we have the promise that God is going to meet every one of our needs in Philippians. That He's going to abundantly meet those needs. And He's going to bless us beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. We have that promise, but there is a premise. In order to do that, we've got to do our part. And what I would challenge you to do today, and I know this is not a warm, fuzzy, you know, sermon that just makes you go, oh, that's just... But it's, guys, it's where we live. 
Is there something in our life? Could we be introspective for a moment and say, God, search me. You know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. What made David a man after God's own heart? You know, he messed up royally. Why did God say, this is a man after my own heart? Because David went before the Lord and he said, search me, O God. See if there is anything in me that is unclean, that is not pure, that does not honor you. And that's a paraphrase. But that's what he, that's what he said to God. And what I would challenge us to do today is we look at the freedom. Because I'm telling you, as we get into this, there's a liberty and a freedom that you can realize if you will walk this thing out. But it begins by asking this question. God, search me and show me. Is there anything in me, Lord? Is there anything in me that does not please you? Is there anything in me that doesn't honor you? Am I giving lip service to your Lordship, but living a completely different way? That's the question today. So I would challenge us, as we close our time together today in prayer, that you ask that question. Not even, I know we've been talking about finances today, and I know we've been talking about some tools that we can use, but let's get down to brass tacks. Let's... Let's talk about who we are. Because see, why is God interested? Why does He say the things that He says about money? Why are there so many verses of Scripture that discuss this, this topic in the Bible? Do you know why? Is it because God needs our money? Is it because God wants what you got? No. It's because of what your money represents. What does your money represent? It represents your heart. And that's what God is interested in. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to bow with me as we pray. And I'm going to ask you to just ask the Lord to just show you right there where you are. God, is there anything in me that needs to be worked out? Is there anything in me, God, that I, I need to get real with you about? That I've just, I've, I've not been honest or maybe there's something there and I, I didn't even realize it was wrong. And God, I just come to you and ask you to forgive me for that. And then, Lord, I pray for the, for the contingency of people that are here today who are, who are overloaded. See, we talked about the the folks that are, that are lazy, and then we talked about the workaholic. But there's also a group that's struggling today because they're just, they're overloaded. Maybe there was a medical thing or, a, you know, just an unexpected tragedy that occurred in their life. And God, that's where we as the church have an opportunity to reach out, to love them, to meet a need. We're not enabling laziness, but God, what we do want to do is reach out when there is there's a genuine need that people have. We're seeing it already down in Florida. We're seeing it already in Houston and, and with the wildfires that are taking place out west, God. Thousands of fires are burning right now. 
Help us not turn a blind eye to that, Lord. So much need all around us. God, you want us to be financially free so we can be free to help meet that need, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us do that, God. If there is one here today that needs to get their life right with you, Lord, I pray that they would, that they would right now, right here, that they would say, yes, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I've been, I've been trying to do my money my own way. I've been trying to do my life my own way. I've been trying to do my marriage my own way, my business my own way. And it's just not working. And I'm exhausted, Lord. I'm absolutely spent. And I turn to you. And I ask you to come into my life. I surrender everything I am and hope to be to you. Help me, God. I just, I need your help. Because I can't do this anymore on my own. If that's your prayer today, just say that to God in your own words from your heart. I promise you, He will hear you and He will not turn a deaf ear to your heart's cry. Lord, today for the sick and for the infirmed, I pray a special prayer for them. Those that are here today that need a touch of healing from you, I pray for healing right now. We lift up Mr. Willard Hardison. Pastor Farrell was senior pastor before Pastor Jim and he just a couple of months ago, went to a new assignment in Tennessee, and his dad is not well. And as we look on the outside looking in, it, it looks like he's near the end of his life. We don't know that, but it doesn't look good. We just lift up Pastor Farrell and Miss Shirley and Mr. Willard in particular, be with him as he battles and endures and goes through this struggle. I don't even know everything he needs, God, but I know you do. You are the great physician. But not just for Mr. Willard, for everyone in earshot of my voice who either needs a physical touch from you or has a loved one that needs a physical miracle. God, I pray that you do that work. We look to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it. We pray, God, that as we walk in obedience to you, that we see you begin abundant provision in our life, but not for the purpose of us just having, 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 but so that we can see the kingdom of God advance in this world. That's our heart's desire. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I wasn't planning on doing this, but right before we leave, Pastor Ryan, I'd love for you to come right up here at the front. And I'm not going to ask, ask everybody to come uh, to the front with me because we just don't have room in the altar. But I just want to pray for him as, uh, as he takes on this new role. 
and I, I know he is going to do an outstanding job, and God is uh, going to use him in a very, very powerful way. If you would, if you're comfortable doing so, I'd just like you to stretch your hand out toward the front of the stage, and let's pray for Pastor Ryan. Father, I just thank you for Pastor Ryan. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his ministry. I thank you, God, for the way you're going to use him at the bridge in Goldsboro. Lord, we don't know all the things that the future holds, but I know the future is bright. And God, I believe with all my heart that our greatest days, our greatest impact in the city of Goldsboro are yet to come. And I just ask you to use this man in a powerful way. God, beyond his ability, beyond his training, beyond his knowledge, Lord, I pray, God, that you supernaturally move and work through this man, that the world would be impacted, that the city of Goldsboro would be touched by this church. And God, most of all, and I know it's his desire and it's his prayer as well, that they wouldn't talk about Pastor Ryan and the, they wouldn't talk about any particular person here. Really, they wouldn't even talk about the Goldsboro campus. That they would just say, you know that church that loves on Jesus so much across from the bingo? Lord, they got some kind of connection to God. And I want to know the Jesus they serve. Our prayer is that we decrease, Lord, and that you increase every single day. I thank you for using this man in that process. Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.